you are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Amen. Well, please be seated. You can open up your Bibles to Psalm 34. Ushers are coming up, up and down the aisle right now with copies of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll make a lot more sense if you uh, follow along. So just put your hand up or holler. Uh, God is our Father, and He's a good Father, and we're all part of His family. And uh, I've been away from uh, from this church family for uh, several weeks. It's so good to be back. You know, we have our we have our immediate family, and then we have our extended family. And it was good for uh, me and my family to spend time with the, the broader uh, church and spend time with some other, some other people that we don't get to see all of the time, but there's something about coming home. Brampton is home for us. You are our family. We love you, and it's so good to be back. We're so thankful for elders who understand the importance of rest for our staff and the way that they care for the staff, the way they care for me and for my family. So uh, excited to be back uh, here I almost didn't get here. Last night, Lindsay and I were, were at a wedding, and it was a beautiful celebration, and Lindsay was all dressed up. She looked absolutely gorgeous. I had my, my suit on, and we're just uh, leaving the reception, and I'm just starting you know, to get into sermon mode. Okay, I've got I've to uh, preach on uh, Psalm uh, 34 uh, tomorrow, and we, we pull out of the parking lot and the car is kind of dragging over to the left a little bit and making some weird sounds so I just circle back and go right to the parking lot and we have a flat tire and uh, so I take my jacket off and my tie off and have another wedding to go to today so I'm trying to keep my suit as clean as uh, possible and I'm, I'm getting the spare out of the, out of the back and I, I start working on those lug nuts, and I'm thinking, man, i got to preach tomorrow. What am I preaching on? I will bless the Lord at all times. You see, when I was at the buffet at the wedding, I was ready to bless the Lord at that time. It's a little harder when you're working on those lug nuts with a wrench. Psalm 34 begins with this, just this incredible commitment, this resolve by the psalmist. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my lips. What does it take for a person to have that kind of a resolve? What does that do to someone when they decide in every circumstance and situation, big thing, small thing, good thing, hard thing, What happens to a person when they choose to worship in every situation? And so we're going to pray for God's grace right now. Psalm 34 is going to give us a picture of what happens to a person when they choose to bless the Lord at all times. So let's pray for his help. Father, this is your word. This isn't my word. And God, I've been uh, reminded, Lord, even just by a, a small thing like a flat tire of how important it is to bless you, to give thanks to you, to worship you in all circumstances. And so, God, I pray that you would lead us by your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would fill me, Lord. I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to receive your word, open my mouth to speak it, God. I pray that I would get out of the way, Lord, and that, and that you would be at the center of our minds. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Uh, Psalm uh, 34 is an acrostic a poem. There's uh, 22 verses. Uh, each line, uh, each new verse began with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so you can see in your outline today, I tried to imitate that. I didn't use every letter of the English alphabet because that would be like 26 points. That would be a long sermon. But uh, we've got an alphabetical outline, something that's authentic, something that's bold, something that's complete, divine, and enduring. And so the outline today is trying to just give you a flavor of, of what an acrostic poem, how someone who can read Hebrew and understand Hebrew, how they would respond to a psalm like this. The other thing that's unique about this psalm is it's, it has a little bit of an explanation. At the beginning, before verse 1, it says that this psalm is of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. And so the psalmist here gives a little bit of a, a little bit of background as to how the, how the song came to be written. And that background is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. So I want to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21. You can be praying for Jameson Evenden in a couple of hours in downtown New York City. Jameson's going to have the opportunity to, to uh, share some of the songs that he's written. And if you've ever uh, heard Jameson uh, introduce a song that he's written, he normally tells the story. Here's a situation. Here's something that my family was going through. Here's a verse that I was meditating on. And normally, singer-songwriters, they're not just singers and songwriters, they're storytellers. They explain the background. Now in 1 Samuel chapter 21, it's sort of an obscure story in the life of David. We, we all kind of are familiar with the highlights of David's life. And this is, this is a, a really strange story. This happens right when David fled from King Saul. King Saul had tried to kill David now seven times. And so maybe it just took David a little long to sort of receive the message uh, that he wasn't wanted. And so Saul's son, Jonathan, really encouraged him. You need to run away. And so David runs away. The first place where he runs is to the tabernacle. And he meets the, the, the priest that's there. And David, he just, he ran. He had nothing with him. He had no provisions. And he had some other people that went along with him. But he had nothing to eat. And God provided for him. The priest actually gave him the showbread, gave him the bread that David really had no right to be eating. It was the bread that belonged in the tabernacle. And, 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 and it was a picture of Jesus being the bread of life. And so God provided for David in that way. Now, David also had no means of protecting himself. Saul kept throwing spears at him and kept sending soldiers to go and execute him. David had no resources. So he asked the priest, do you have any weapons? I know this is a tabernacle, I know this is a place of worship, that's really not the place to, to find a sword, but the priest actually had a sword uh, with him. He says in chapter 21, verse 9, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. Maybe the priest was sort of like a a collector of, of things, and, and he wanted to remember this. So he sort of had it wrapped in a cloth. He sort of had it hidden away. And he says, if you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. He's like, that's all I got. All I have is this souvenir, David, from that great victory that you 
one for the people of Israel. David said, oh, there's none like that. Give it to me. And so David takes this huge sword belonging to Goliath, and he's, he's now been fed by God. He's now been given a, a resource to, to help him fight. And now he is on the run. And I don't know if he was just, if he panicked or if he wasn't familiar with the geography, or, or he just got a little bit disoriented, but the place where he went was probably the worst place he could have gone. He's got Goliath's sword in his hand, and in verse 10 it says, David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Gath is not a well-known Bible place. It's, it's mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Do you know why? Because Gath, is Goliath's hometown. David, on the run, carrying Goliath's sword with him, finds himself in the birthplace of Goliath. No doubt there was a statue to this great war hero, this giant, this undefeated until he was defeated, warrior. And this is where David finds himself. Verse 11 says, And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king, of the, land, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. His, that song was like number one on iTunes for the longest time. They, they, they see the sword. They look at the face. He's a little older now. But they said, That's him. That's the guy with the rocks. That's the guy that killed Goliath. And look, he's, he's walked right into, right into our town. This is our opportunity to get revenge. This is the guy who took out our hero, and now, our, now he has walked in, and we can turn the tables on him. Verse 12, David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So his servants are talking to the king. Remember the song? Remember Goliath? Look, the sword is right there. Look, go talk to him. And they're thinking, the king's going to interrogate him. Maybe they'll parade him around the town and then execute him in cold blood. I mean, you think about the story of David. The story could have ended right here. He walked right into enemy territory. What's David going to do? Is he going to go looking for stones? Is he going to pick up that giant sword and to start, start with the king and then go after the servants and then continue to run? Well, here's David's big plan, verse 13. As it said at the beginning of Psalm 34, so he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. David decided to pretend that he was an insane person who thought he was David. If you were to walk around the, the psych ward or go to some sort of asylum, you would bump into probably a few people who thought they were King David. And they also would, might think they were Napoleon Dynamite, uh, not Napoleon Dynamite, or Napoleon Bonaparte. So David pretended like he had lost his mind. I think about how, how embarrassing this story is. This great 
hero, this fearless warrior, David, putting on this grand drama, trying to see, are they buying this as I'm doodling on the gates, as I'm letting drool spittle down on my, on my beard? Are, 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 they, are they going to believe this? And then I love Achish and his reaction. Verse 14, Achish said to his servants, behold, you see the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? And I love this. Do I lack madmen? that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall, his, shall this fellow come into my house? He's like, yeah, this guy thinks he's David. He also thinks he's a chicken and a fountain because he won't stop spitting. So he, David convinces them by putting on this little act that he actually wasn't David, that he was someone who was insane that thought they were David. And Achish says, get this poor guy out of here. You're going you're gonna to have me execute some, uh, some poor person who's mentally unstable? He's, I'm not going to do that. Get, get him out of here. I don't lack madmen. You're all madmen for bringing him here with me. And so it's that context. We go back to Psalm 34 now. It says of David when he changed his behavior before uh, Abimelech. That's just a name for kings in that area. Achish was also uh, Abimelech. So that he drove him out and he went away. And then the psalm begins, I will bless the Lord at all times. Here's what happens to someone who chooses to worship God in every circumstance. Here's the first thing. Authentic humility. Authentic humility. There's something significant here that David wrote a song about this situation. There's actually no psalm that I know of that is about David and how he killed Goliath. He wrote a song, really, that's kind of embarrassing. It was a story that was really quite humbling. It wasn't like, and, and I... I took the sword in my hand and I started, I was so brave, I was so courageous. It was like, no, I actually acted like I was insane. I probably should have been killed that day. Listen, it wasn't, the, it wasn't that my acting was convincing, it was that my God was compassionate and he rescued me. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord when I look like a hero and I will bless the Lord when I don't look like a hero. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, whether my mouth is telling a great heroic story or whether my mouth is telling an embarrassing story. Verse 12, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Everyone knows what it's like to be around someone who's boastful. I'm always trying to teach my children, I know I still even need to learn this, to stop talking about myself, to stop boasting. And the solution is is to boast about the Lord. That's what he says, I will make my boast in the Lord, let the humble hear and be glad. You see, we often misunderstand humility, that humility is just saying negative things about yourself. Oh, I'm nothing, I'm a sinner, I'm a worm. Listen, that's really just boasting from the opposite direction. Whether you're saying how great you are or whether you're saying how lame you are, you're still talking about yourself. David here says, I will boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. True humility is not talking about yourself at all, good or bad. 
True humility is recognizing that you bless the Lord at all times because God is in charge of every situation and circumstance, that he's sovereign and that we're not. I'll bless the Lord at all times. Then he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Humility, humility loves community. And humility wants to share what God has done and he wants to include other people. He says, magnify the Lord with me. Join in. Let's participate in this together. I've been looking forward to this day since we've been away to get back with our family, to get back with the people of God and magnify the Lord and exalt his name. It's been so great to do that together with the body of Christ. Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. David was humble enough to admit that he was afraid. If you read 1 Samuel 21, it says he was much afraid. When he saw King Achish coming towards him, he was much afraid. So that's the first thing. When someone chooses to bless the Lord at all times, you'll see authentic humility in their life. Here's the other thing. You will see bold confidence. Bold confidence. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Those who look to him are radiant. They, they don't experience shame. They, they, they have no reason to be ashamed. I can think of lots of reasons for me to be ashamed. I can think of lots of times where I've looked myself in the mirror and I've said, what happened to you? Did those words seriously come out of that mouth? Did you really allow your eyes to look at that? What's going on in that head there? Are you really thinking those wicked, perverse thoughts? But those who look to the Lord are radiant. If you only look at yourself, you will definitely feel shame. If you only look to yourself, you will definitely feel guilt. You will, you will definitely feel dirty and unclean. But when you get your eyes off of yourself and onto the Lord, your face becomes radiant because it's when you look to the Lord that you see mercy and grace. And 2 Corinthians 3 says that we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, that as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, our face, like Moses coming down from the mountain, our faces are radiant so that we can walk into any situation with confidence. Not because we're looking into ourselves to find courage, but because we're looking at the Lord and we know that he is leading us through whatever circumstance we might find. It gives us bold confidence. Verse 5, David describing himself, this poor man right here, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. He said, I had no resources. My only option was to pretend to be crazy. I was this poor man. I had nothing. I had no food. I had this giant sword and I was trapped. And God delivered him from all of his troubles. And then I love verse seven. This is a great source of confidence. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. The angel of the Lord is setting up camp all around. Like Elisha told his servant to lift up his eyes and to see all of the angelic soldiers that were surrounding them. 
God says, listen, I've got your back. Not only do you have your back, I've got your front, I've got your side, I've got you covered from every angle. There, there are, it's, people talk about a guardian angel. You don't have a guardian angel, you have a guardian army that is surrounding you at all times as you walk in the fear of the Lord. I love that. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And then verse 8 has this beautiful invitation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The same way, magnify the Lord with me. Let's, let's exalt his name together. And now taste, taste and see. Whether you try a new flavor of, of ice cream or a, or a dish at a, at a restaurant, what do you do? You, you, you put it on the edge of your spoon and you pass it to someone else. This is so good, you've got to taste it. You'll never believe it. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. Taste and see. Uh, Daniel Henderson, who's one of our missionaries uh, in Quebec, was, was here today. And you, you saw his, uh, his family on the screen. We're continuing to pray for him. And listen, I, I knew Daniel a long time ago. We go, back, we go back many years. Daniel's life was radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Daniel is such an example of someone who has tasted and is now telling other people, taste and see. I put him on the spot. He was here in the first service. I said, how do you say taste and see en français in, in French? Because he had such a burden for the people of Quebec. And he started this, this he, I thought he was crazy when he moved there. I really did. I probably told him not to go, I think. And, and he, God has blessed him. He started this, this translation ministry. Not only is he telling people in French to taste and see in Quebec, it's now overflowing all around the world. And that's what we are called to do. Our mission is to make disciples. And the way to make disciples is to share what we have been delighting in, to tell others, taste, taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no Lack. When you've tasted that the Lord is good, you know that when you have the Lord, you lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Here's the, the third thing is complete contentment. Complete contentment. Those who fear the Lord have no lack. That when you found him, you have found everything you need. When you have tasted the sweetness of who God is, you don't need to taste anything else. I don't know about you, but I'm real thankful that I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Because there's been a lot of times in my life where I've tasted and seen that sin is bad and that sin is awful and that it, it corrodes you from the inside out as you ingest the poison of sinful choices. It ruins you from the inside out. And you're trying to fill yourself like you have some sort of lacking in you and you're trying to fill something that only God can fill. So rather than tasting sin, you need to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord, again, they lack no good thing. The Lord, taste and see that the Lord is good and he gives us every good thing. We lack no good thing. James 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes from our Father, who's the Father of lights, who never changes. Even the lions, even the young lions, even the ones at the top of the food chain, even the youngest, healthiest, most energetic, most skilled hunters, the young lions, they might at some point lack. But those who fear the Lord, those who love him, they have complete contentment because they know that they have the Lord. They lack no good things. I've just come to learn in my life that if there's something that I'm lacking, it just means it's not good. That God is good to me and that he spares me from filling my life with bad things. But when I place my trust in the Lord, I lack no good thing. Verse 11 says, come, O children, listen to me. He's appealing to the, to the next generation now. I'm so thankful for our Harvest Kids ministry and the work that they're doing. And that's, that's half the battle, right? Those of us who work in children's ministry, that's half the battle. Come, children, listen to me, right? It's, it's one thing to prepare your lesson and be all ready. It's a whole other thing. We're so thankful for this, these, these volunteers who work so hard at getting the children engaged and listening to God's word, not just listening with their ears, but learning to have God's word get into their, into their heart. He says, come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The thesis of the book of Proverbs is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this next part of Psalm 34 is going to sound like it's right out of the book of Proverbs. It's, it's, it's these short little sayings, these little pieces of advice given a here by the psalmist. Verse 12, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. He says, do you want to have a good life? Do you want to get along with other people? Do you want to make friends and influence others? He says, watch what you say. We've, we've tasted sin in our mouths we also need to recognize that sometimes when we taste sin in our mouths, it's because it's actually come out of us and out of our mouths. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And man, I don't have enough paper or enough ink for the list of things I know that I have said that I wish I hadn't. And I know that there are people in this, in this room who have had things go into their ears that came out of other people's mouths that you will never forget that have been so hurtful and so harmful. And even those people who have had those things come into their ears, they, still, they know even of themselves that things have come out of their mouths, maybe perhaps in retaliation. Read the book of James. The book of James is so insightful about how we can say, bless the Lord, and yet we can curse our neighbor. And how, 
how the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. It's this small little part, but it steers the whole thing. The tongue, it's such a small little part of our body, but it does so much damage. It's like a spark that starts a whole forest fire. It starts so small, seems so insignificant, but we need to, loved ones. The advice that's given here is to get control of our tongue, and to especially when something comes out of our mouths that we shouldn't have said, regardless of whether it is in retaliation to what someone else said, as soon as something comes out of our mouth that shouldn't have, we need to use that same mouth to take responsibility for what we said and to seek forgiveness for what we said. That's the wisdom that's shared here. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. You know, Psalm 34 was, was one of Peter's favorite psalms. Uh, he quoted it in 1 Peter when he was talking about how we need to long for the word of God like pure spiritual milk. And he says, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And then when he's talking to them about persecution and how they should behave when non-Christians are attacking them for their faith and making their lives difficult, should they retaliate? Peter quotes Psalm 34. He says, get control of your mouth. He says, be careful with what you say. Turn away from evil and turn towards good. And so what's being shared in those verses is divine wisdom. Divine wisdom. Authentic humility, bold confidence, complete contentment, divine wisdom. And then this lastly, enduring redemption. Enduring redemption. Verse 17 says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. Verse 18, one of my favorite verses, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's a, that's a verse that I quote to myself so often. That's a verse I find going on the, on the end of an email to someone who I know who is suffering or struggling. It's a, it's a verse that I, I write out by hand in a, in a card that I'm writing to someone that I'm trying to encourage that's going through difficulty. And I know there have been times in my life where my heart has been broken. I know there have been times in my life where my spirit has been crushed because we live in a world that is corrupted by sin. And because we live in this world, because sin is in this world, death is in this world, and illness is in this world, and accidents are in this world. And that causes our spirits to be crushed. That causes our hearts to be broken. And because we live in a sin-filled world, people sin against us and crush our spirits and break our hearts. And because we live in a sin-filled world, we are part of that world. And we sin, and our hearts have been broken when we think about the things that we've done. And our spirits have been crushed. But I don't know about you, but I know it's certainly in my life that in those moments where my spirit was crushed and when my heart was broken, listen, I wish it could have happened some other way. But I know for sure that God was near to me in those moments. You think about all the people that are represented here. I don't know all of your stories, but I know a lot of them. 
And I know some of you are in the middle of it right now, and you have sensed or you are sensing that in your suffering, in your difficulty, the Lord is near. And there's, there's no further that we need to look to, to understand that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted than to the fact that God sent his son to dwell among us, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God came near. He's not watching us in our suffering from far off. No, he came here and he said, speaking to those who are of a broken heart, who are a crushed spirit, he said, you want to know about my kingdom? Do you know who it belongs to? It belongs to the poor in spirit. God came near through Jesus Christ. And this, this morning we're going to remember how God came near in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. He came near. He came as one of us. He came in flesh that is as real and is as near as the bread that you're gonna hold in your hands. He came with blood flowing through his veins, blood that was spilled for us that is as real as the, as the cup that you are gonna hold in your hands today. Because on the cross of Jesus Christ that we remember today, Jesus' heart was broken for the brokenhearted. Jesus' spirit was crushed for those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to us, and he has come near to us through his son so that we could be near to him for all of eternity. He has given us an enduring redemption. Verse 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Just underline the word him there. There's a very subtle change in the language that's, been, that's used in this psalm. And the other times when it's talking about the righteous, it's plural. Verse 15, verse 17, you can see it. He hears their cry. He, he responds to them. The righteous is a group. But now it's saying that there is this righteous, this one righteous person who is going to experience affliction and the Lord will deliver him out of all of those afflictions. You see, we see in the Psalms that David is so often writing about himself personally and he's writing about the community of believers. But sometimes in the Psalms, he switches gears and he talks about someone else. We see it a number of times in the Psalm. Like the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, Psalm 110, which Jesus himself quoted. It's about Jesus. And he's talking about this righteous one. He says him, not talking about David himself, not talking about the group of people. He's talking about him. He's pointing forward that there's going to be a special righteous one who's going to come. And he's going to go through affliction. And then take a look with me at verse 20. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Again, singular. All of his bones. He is this righteous one. David understood that this righteous person was coming and that he was going to suffer sometime in the future. But in order to understand what was going to happen in the future, he looks back to the past. And he, 
he equates this righteous one with the Passover lamb. In Exodus 12, verse 46, it's giving instructions about the Passover. It's very specific that when the lamb was slain, when his blood was to be put on the, on the lintel and the doorposts, that not one of the bones of that lamb was to be broken. And so David is looking into the future and he's, he's seeing dimly, he sees that this righteous one is going to suffer, but his suffering is going to accomplish something. Just like that lamb suffered, just like that lamb died in order to save the people of Israel from the destroyer that went through Egypt that night, this righteous one was going to suffer in the same way. He was going to suffer and accomplish something through his suffering. And that suffering was enduring redemption. And in these strange verses in Psalm 34, we have this picture of this anticipated righteous one that would suffer in order to save, just like the Passover lamb. And then in John chapter 19, verse 33, when Jesus is indeed suffering, the soldiers come along and they're about to do what is just common practice, regular protocol for a Roman crucifixion. They're checking to see if the, if the victims have indeed died. And if they hadn't died, it sounds cruel, but it's actually an act of mercy. If the person on the cross hadn't died, they would break their legs. Because when someone is being crucified, they actually suffocate to death. And the only way... That, after they are hanging there for hours, the only way for them to breathe is to push up with their feet that have been pierced by the nails and to gasp for breath. And so to speed up the process, the soldiers would break the legs, but they came to Jesus and Jesus had already given up his spirit. He had already given up his life. And so they didn't break his legs. And in John 19, it says that the prophecy was fulfilled. The prophecy of David in Psalm 34, looking back to Exodus chapter 12, looking forward to Jesus suffering on our behalf. His suffering accomplished eternal redemption on our behalf. Verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked. That's what we deserve. We deserve affliction. But Jesus went through his many afflictions in verse 19. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, enduring redemption. Now it's no longer talking about him. Now it's talking about us. You see how the, you see how the verbs, have, the nouns have changed. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And so we as people who are brokenhearted, we as people who are crushed in spirit, we can come and take refuge. We can stand in the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ who suffered in order to save. We deserve condemnation, but we have been given an enduring redemption. And when we see Jesus and when we see what he has done for us, and when we have seen that the Lord delivered him out of those afflictions, that he was gloriously raised from the dead, that we can indeed bless the Lord at all times.
This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.